Welcome to the King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. Welcome to you here in the room. If, if you don't have your own copy, let me hand you one today because we have a lot of reading to do and it will be easier for you even if you don't choose to take it home. You can always put it back up here for the next class. But if you need one and if you haven't signed in, sign in on the way out. Get this over a little bit. So welcome. This is our fourth and last week on the earliest Christian martyrs. Maybe we can do just a quick review. Let's see if I get this going right. There we go. Okay. Our four weeks. If you'll remember, we started, and this is that map of where Poly, uh, where Ignatius wrote letters to, but it's such a good map of the Mediterranean that I thought we would use it today because it has Smyrna, where Bishop Polycarp is from. But our weeks began first with the martyrdoms, which we see in Scripture, of Stephen and James down here in Jerusalem. Okay, that's where we began. Looking at their martyrdom, Stephen's so very much like Jesus. Jesus is not a martyr. He is the savior. He's the rescuer. He is, he, he is not a witness. Well, he's a witness, but martyr means witness. That's where we get that term from in the earliest church. Um, and Stephen, remember, he says what we heard I think we heard it today in Luke 23. Father, forgive them. And Stephen did the same thing. In Stephen and in James, down here, um, in Jerusalem, we found bold proclamation of who Jesus is. And, And I hope, if anything, we all go home with these three ideas that we've seen through the weeks. There's a bold proclamation, a witness to who Jesus is, There is a trust in an eternal perspective that proclaims Jesus' ultimate rule and reign. And today, Christ the King Sunday, was anyone not at the earliest? I think we were all... Oh, Rachel, you were not at the early one. Oh, okay, great. Oh, and the winter hops, good. Oh, well, uh, if you'll be at 11, I don't know exactly what you'll get. (laughs) Because (laughs) I have to admit, this is my second favorite Sunday of the church year. Easter has to be my favorite, but this is my favorite because what has happened in the church year, which begins again next next week, doesn't mean that we have cyclical thinking, but that we, just like in a farmer's year, the farmer's almanac, you know, you go from plowing and planting to reaping and harvesting and enjoying, and then you start all over again, but the scriptures and our church calendar are cyclical, yes, we go around in those things, but we proclaim that there is an end, and that's what we're in this year, destination, because it matters. And, and pastors had us in a season of thinking about strength, strength that comes from the Lord, and we see this in the martyrs. So in this church year, we get to today, sometimes... In more modern times, maybe, or recently, um, known as the Sunday of the Fulfillment. Everything comes together, and as we heard in the early service, you know, Jesus Christ 
as king, crown him with many crowns. Jesus shall reign where'er the sun doth his successive journeys run. Over and over, what we get to today is that king of glory that we will share eternity with. And so we start in Jerusalem. Then we move to the 12 and Paul. And I think that's, is that, oh, sorry. There we go. Oh, yes. This, I, I really believe, I didn't know this when we began, even though I'd been working on this for a long time. But ever since in that second week, we looked at the epistle, the first epistle of Peter to the church with, with its encouragement to stand firm in the faith, in the face of persecution. This verse continues to come to me, and maybe, maybe you can read it. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery or deep that it comes upon you. That we rejoice that we share in Christ's sufferings. Oh man, rejoice that we share in Christ's suffering. And we have heard that in the stories of the twelve. We heard that in Stephen and James, in Paul. And if you recall, we then looked at a map that second week that shows where where those apostles had gone with their ministry and with a cross there. Possibly, for some of them, there are many legends out of different places, but possibly where they died. And you look at a map like that and see many of them not surprised at the fiery uh, trial. Yes, I said ordeal because that's in one of the versions. Hi, Judy. Welcome. Pick up a, a handout on your way in. So then what we have been thinking about, well, I mean, last week we looked at Ignatius, and we'll think about him a little bit too this week. But let's pick up just those overarching kind of questions that I've had in my mind. If we're going to look at martyrs, we want to think about that. And I think it was Pastor Winterhoff in our adult education started talking about dying to live and living to die. That kind of a theme um, attributed to El- Elizabeth Elliot online, but I can't find it in her writing. So maybe she didn't say it. Maybe she wasn't the first one. That it's something's not worth living for if it's not worth dying that kind of an idea. The purpose and point of martyrdom, and we'll get to that. We heard in each one of these a bold proclamation of who Jesus is, an eternal perspective on his ultimate rule and reign that all may know the love of Jesus. And for us at King of Glory, that is a key phrase whenever we gather. Okay, how those early believers prepared for that final huzzah. And we've been hearing a little bit, especially as we get into Ignatius last week and then Polycarp today, the churches, the pastors, the writers in those first three centuries felt it imperative to encourage young believers in the stories of the martyrs so that should they face their own persecution, they would have a model to follow and know what the purpose and point, you know, how to face that. And so a question for us as we maybe leave this, these weeks of martyrs is just, okay, so what about my own life, that of my children, my grandchildren's? How do we encourage one another to face persecution should it come for us the way we know it, it is for believers around the world today and those in the past? So with that... Let's begin, and 
start with an opening. You don't have to sing, men. Um, <laughs> I just saw that and thought, oh dear, no. We will begin with some selected verses from Psalm 9. Men, if you would begin this opening prayer. Sing the praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare among the peoples his beasts. For he who requires blood remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. You who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may tell of all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk down in the pit which they have in the net which they hid, and their own foot has it caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. Arise, O Lord, do not let mortals prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but human. Amen. It always amazes me that no matter the topic we are going to study, there is a psalm that can often wrap up some of the wrestlings we are doing in the scriptures and and now with these stories of the martyrs. Let the nations be judged. Let them know that they are just human and that you are king of glory. So let's begin. We've got a lot of material to go to today, go through. Today, uh, so you should have, I think, what is it, a six-page handout. Um, and we will read through a document that is well attested in the early church. We are going to be thinking, and it is called the Martyrdom of Polycarp, put together by his church, we believe, fairly early in the, in the months or at least year slash years after his death, we believe it was very much, much more quickly than years. The document probably has been amended and edited a little. Um, the document that, that Eusebius in the fourth century quotes is not quite as long as the one that we will find in, if you have a copy of um, the uh, Apostolic Fathers, that's what this one is. They both are different, different translations. Um, but the, the story of Polycarp's martyrdom is important to his church so important that they write up the document which you have a lot of excerpts from in your handout and we will read through today along with some scripture so important to them that they immediately sent it out to other churches a letter to other churches to encourage believers in facing martyrdom polycarp Oh, well, okay. How many of you have ever heard of, I mean, before we started advertising, ever heard of, you have, okay. Yes, okay. A, a, a lot of us as Protestants have never heard of these guys, okay, and they're guys that we think of in the church fathers. Um, he is probably, the, uh, one of the commentators said, the best attested early church father. There is a letter written to him by Ignatius. We heard some of that last week. There is a letter by him to the church 
at Philippi that has come down. And then there is this document, his martyrdom, written by his church. Three early church documents affirming that, we, that this man, Polycarp, not only lived, but then died. He knew John the Apostle, was a disciple of John the Apostle in Ephesus, as was Ignatius, but Polycarp is older. Well, okay, they may, no, I'm sorry, yeah, they may have been somewhat contemporaries, but they both were disciples of John the Apostle. Polycarp trained Irenaeus, who is a second to a little bit later, late second century church father, who gives us much theology and much history. So we have a chain of men that go back in their writings to the Apostle John, from whom they learned about Jesus. This is what's so amazing. So last week we know that Ignatius was bishop meaning overseer, elder in the church, not a hierarchical church with ordained pastors and bishops and presidents of districts or something. We have, he was probably the most revered and honored older man in Antioch's house churches and so rose to become that term that we now, we now think are in hierarchical terms, but back then would have been this honored man he is taken by land, declared by Trajan the emperor, to be guilty of being a Christian and is going to be sent to Rome. And, tri- to, and he dies with beasts in the arena in Rome. He has a land route that takes him to Smyrna, where he writes to three churches. Then he goes on up to Troas and writes back to Smyrna, to, I believe, Philadelphia. I'm now going to get it mixed up, but also to Polycarp. So we have all those letters, all this, this space and time that focuses our thoughts and, and maybe our learning on facing that kind of thing, dying to live. So let's go on. This, uh, uh, you know, a painting uh, probably used in the Orthodox Church, but, but listen to something he wrote to the Philippians, okay? <clears throat> Let us then persevere unceasingly in our hope and in the pledge of our righteousness that is in Christ Jesus. Um, Absolute orthodoxy when we think about Bishop Polycarp. He was not, (laughs) a lot of uh, commentators and translators will say, he's not the greatest writer, very simple in his writings, but I want you to hear something he had written, and let me get this. In his letter to the Philippians, listen to what he says. For you are fully convinced about our Lord that he was truly from the family of David, according to the flesh, son of God, according to the will and power of God, truly born from a virgin, baptized by John, that all righteousness might be fulfilled in him. In the time of Pontius Pilate, in the Tetrarch Herod, he was truly nailed for us in the flesh. This is be- and then it, through his resurrection, he might eternally lift up the standard for his holy and faithful ones, the body of his church. We begin to hear, we heard it in Ignatius last week, I'm not going to take time to read that again, 
we heard those seeds of the Apostles' Creed that isn't finally adopted by a more hierarchical church in a church council for another three centuries, two or three centuries. But we hear the beginnings of the Orthodox faith in Ignatius and in Polycarp. Bold proclamation of who Jesus is, an eternal perspective in his rule and reign, and chiefly, that all may know. So today, we're okay, you have a handout that then gives what we've just talked about. I, ha- oh, I, know, I didn't even remember this. Okay, um, his name meaning much fruit, I forgot to put that in here. <laughs> Martyred in about 155 AD. And you know, Linda Nielsen had brought up last week something that I hadn't brought up, and that was, let's understand that by this time, by the time of Ignatius who dies, maybe before 110, somewhere 107, 108, maybe, Polycarp 155, the church now has what will begin to be known as the New Testament. They've got the letters that had gone out. They've got what Justin Martyr around this time calls the memoirs of the apostles. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. But earlier, in the early church with Peter and Paul, they had the scriptures from the Jewish Bible. By this time... They have the letters of Paul, the letters of John, and the Gospels, and we begin to hear those teachings in that. Um, maybe before we even go on, I should give you a chance, though, it, especially you, most of you have been here four weeks now. Is there something that's running around in your head or in your heart that you've been maybe thinking, I really wish we had time to say things in this class. Anybody who wants to comment or, or, or speak to this topic before we dive into Polycarp, John. One thing that I didn't notice during the class, but after I thought about it from last week, Jesus gives us this encouragement or direction. Do not worry about what you are to say when you go on trial. Yes. So, so then I'm looking at Ignatius, and I'm probably going to come out again. But you see from what he did say that he was in the word all the time. So whenever it was the Holy <laughs> Spirit told him what to say, there was already this library. Yeah. So it isn't, you could just watch um, Game of Thrones and listen to the news and God will put the right words in your head. You'll be in the word. Don't decide beforehand what part. But if, the, if you're in the word, then the Holy Spirit will power you right through it. But I've never made that connection. Or Absolutely. That it's the, he was in the Word. They were in the Word. In fact, I'll just show because you said that, I just opened to what I had just read. Here, here's, okay, it's in Greek. I don't read Greek. And then this side, this Bart Ehrman translation. Okay, so there's two little, two small paragraphs. Underneath these paragraphs, there are four citations noted from Scripture in in these two paragraphs, we have four Bible verses <laughs> referenced, um, you know, paraphrased. Absolutely, these men were in those scriptures and in prayer, which we will see today. Anybody else? Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Anybody else? Well, okay. Then let's move on. Oh, I know. I wanted to say we have. I've listed the scriptures. Maybe not all of them that will be in our in our presentation today. You, of course, may open your Bibles to any of them, but I've put all our scriptures up on the screen and thought I would just list them for you because we had enough pages to do. But I, I really think it's important for us to hear how what these men 
show us was very much, as John said, straight out of scripture. Okay, so let's move on. Uh, this is our own photo of the um, amphitheater in Ephesus. We don't have one from Smyrna. <laughs> the arena there, so I think we'll just use that. So we will begin um, reading. So you want to turn to page two of your handout. And I think for sake of time and we will... And I can't remember. Do you you have red on yours too? Yeah. So when there's red, you and I both have it. Thank you. I couldn't remember what I've done. Okay. So the first part is just the, the encyclical epistle. Good morning, Kelly. Grab a handout as you come in. And I think there's plenty of spaces. We see that the openings are just very similar to the openings in Paul's letters or Peter's letters. You know, the Church of God. But this is from the Church of God in Smyrna to the church of God in Philomelium, I guess you would call it, and to all the congregations. So this was going to be sent to Philomelium and then on to other churches, much like Paul's epistles, John's, Peter's were sent around. Okay. The subject of which we write, chapter 1. We have written to you, brethren, as to what relates to the martyrs and especially to the blessed Polycarp who put an end to the persecution. Okay. So his death, on this day we're going to read about, apparently ended persecutions at least for a time in Smyrna up until this was written. Having, as it were, set a seal upon it by his martyrdom, for almost all the events that happened previously to this one took place that the Lord might show us from above a martyrdom becoming the gospel. Hear how they're putting his, their beloved Pastor, okay, their beloved bishop. They're putting his death into a framework of a martyrdom becoming the gospel. And we're going to hear more about that. For he waited to be delivered up, even as the Lord had done, that we also might become his followers, while we look not merely at what concerns ourselves, but have regard also to our neighbors, that all may know. I think is what is in, <laughs> uh, in between the lines there. Okay, For it is the part of a true and well-founded love, not only to wish oneself to be saved, but also all the brethren. We'll read through to the end of chapter 2, then I'll give you a chance to comment. Okay, all the martyrdoms then were blessed, I'm reading chapter 2, blessed and noble, which took place according to the will of God. Okay, we hear that. <laughs> this is the will of God, oh dear. For it becomes us who profess greater piety than others to ascribe the authority over all things to God. And looking to the grace of Christ, they despised all the torments of this world, redeeming themselves from eternal punishment by the suffering of a single hour. There's not a, a shred of evidence that any of the letters that go around from the church fathers, including this one from a church father's church to other churches, that in them they think that a martyr's death saves him. That's not what that line means. That means that just reclaiming themselves from this eternal punishment by the suffering of a single hour, that's all. Putting it into an eternal perspective. For this reason, the fire of their savage executioners appeared cool to them. For they kept before their view escape from that fire which is eternal and never shall be quenched, 
and looked forward with the eyes of their heart to those good things which are laid up for such as endure, things which ear hath not heard, nor eye seen, neither have entered into the heart of a man. And there they're quoting from either Isaiah 6 or Paul's letter to the Corinthians. No, we declare, maybe you can read this with me so that it's not my voice. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written in Isaiah, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. It is amazing to me that we can read the martyrdom of Polycarp and hear that they heard in Paul and in Isaiah an eternal perspective that helps them put this. You know, I had a cherub choir when we were back in New Jersey, and there was a song that was written for adult choirs, difficult song, but I loved using scripture, and there was just this one one chorus, and I'm going to hate that I do it, but, I want, but we always used motions to help us remember the words. They were four years old through second grade. <laughs> I see some <laughs> knowing that it always helped me remember the words too. But anyway, they always remember. And it was, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, all the wonderful things God has prepared for us, is how they would sing. And they singing about this. And that's what the church of Smyrna was saying. We've just gone through this horror of watching our beloved 86-year-old bishop go into a fire to die. And they call back to Isaiah. Any, Any comments? Any thoughts? Yeah, Judy? We don't have any clue what this must have been like. Oh, man. It's just mind-boggling to me. When we think that we are having a rough go of things, we're not even close. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. I mean, we're we're chuckling because because it is so horrible. Mm -hmm. And and you've spoken truth to us, Judy. I need to know that. No eyes, no ears. Wonderful things God has prepared for us. And, you know, and the church is saying the martyrs looked forward to that as opposed to the hour or hours that they were going to suffer. The, oh, Rachel, did you want to say something? Okay, Linda. It makes me think of the story of Corey Ten Boom, yes. where she says that her father, when they were getting on a train yes. to go somewhere, he, he didn't give her the ticket until they were getting on the train. And she um, announced drives that to uh, God gives us the strength when we need it. We don't mm-hmm. have it beforehand and so for us to think what would we do what would, you know it's a little hard to fi- figure out um, because God doesn't give us that strength until we need it. And, 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 that's a good and, and that, is, that is so well said and it recalls what John was saying. You know you don't have to prepare your defense in advance 
at that moment that you need it, as long as you have stayed in relationship with me and listened to my words, I will be your strength in a season of learning about strength. So remember that. Let's move on. I, I'll, I'll just tell you what happens in the third uh, chapter. Uh, there's a man named um, Germanicus. Uh, he, he was constant and faithful, it says, but he, he, the, the writers put this in terms of the devil, the, this battle in the heavenlies, principalities and powers that's, that's um, uh, bolded for you. But at his death, he was so strong, he, well, they say he bid the, the beasts come to him. We heard that a little bit about Ignatius too, but now in red. But upon this, the whole multitude, those in the crowd, in the arena, in Smyrna, marveling at the nobility of mind displayed by the devout and godly race of Christians, cried out, away with the atheists, meaning Christians, because they are not bowing down to the gods of Rome. Let Polycarp be sought out. That's where we are. Then chapter 4 gives us Quintus the apostate. Quintus... uh, decided he was going to seek out martyrdom. He volunteered for martyrdom. In the 11, uh, the 1045 class, I, I think it was uh, Mark Baker who had brought up, gosh, doesn't it seem like Ignatius is kind of calling this all to himself? Maybe he's a little too enthusiastic. We see here that in Smyrna, there's, they write against such a thing. I don't believe Ignatius was doing that. I think he probably had prayed ahead of time to be rescued, but then when the time came and the emperor said, you're going to Rome, he said, okay. This, here we get that the Christians in Smyrna are saying, no, we need to follow. Look what it says here. We do not commend those who give themselves up to suffering, seeing the gospel does not teach us to do that. And they're thinking about Matthew 10, where Jesus said, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. So they're saying, don't volunteer for martyrdom, but if it comes, be ready. Okay. And that's what we will see as we go on with the story of Polycarp. Okay. Um, I need to get to here and see where we are. Okay. So now we want to read through chapter four. Oh, no, we just did. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm mixing myself up through six. Okay. So we're at chapter five. But the most, on page two, but the most admirable Polycarp, when he first heard that he was sought for, was in no measure disturbed, but resolved to continue in the city. However, in deference to the wish of many, he was persuaded to leave it. So they put his leaving the city in terms of a martyrdom according to the gospel, which flee from one town to the next. He departed, therefore, to a country house not far from the city. There he stayed with a few friends, engaged, get this, in nothing else night and day than praying for all men and for the churches throughout the world, according to his usual custom. And while he was praying, a vision presented itself to him three days before he was taken. And behold, the pillow under his head seemed to him on fire. Upon this, turning to those who were with him, he said to them prophetically, I must be burnt alive. 
So God's given him a vision. If you call Corey Tenboom's story too, she has a she has a a vision or a dream one night when they're still in their home in Harlem in the Netherlands in Holland, of somehow they're being led away on a cart, and she's terrified. And she tells, is her sister Betsy? Yeah, Corey and Betsy. And Betsy says, No, God's given you this so that you won't worry. He's gone there before you. You know, and that's that is I, that, that's the setting I see for Polycarp here. Oh. Yeah, I know, Judy. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> this is quite sobering stuff. You know, the, the first week after we come from uh, pastors, you know, Chip and Flip, Pastor Freilich and Pastor Keenard with their hilarious and outrageous. I said we won't get hilarious stories, but we will get outrageous mm-hmm. stories with these martyrs. Okay, but chapter six. Polycarp is betrayed by a servant. And when those who sought for him were at hand, he departed to another dwelling. And commentators say, this may have been his own family's farm because of what happens next. Whither his pursuers immediately came after him. And when they found him not, they seized upon two youths that were there, one of whom, being subjected to torture, confessed. It was thus impossible that he, Polycarp, should continue hidden since those that betrayed him were of his own household. The Irenarch, that's he's like a justice of the peace, and so he will be over any trial, any proceeding like we're going to see. He happened to have the name Herod. This is not King Herod, who by this time is long dead. Okay, And, and in fact, Jerusalem no longer is, is a, a Jewish kingdom. It, part of a Jewish kingdom. So the Irenarch, the justice of the peace, Herod, hastened to bring him to the stadium. This all happened that he might fulfill his special lot, meaning Polycarp, being made a partaker of Christ, and that they who betrayed him might undergo the punishment of Judas himself. (laughs) Dear friends, read this with me. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be enjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and the promise is on I want us to keep going back to some of these scriptures that are easy to overlook when we're reading the Gospels, Jesus' words about coming, the coming sufferings, but we've heard them in several of our Gospel readings over these last weeks because the weeks in the church year, the lectionary points us exactly to today of the end of time and Jesus come as King of glory. But I, but I hope that it is helpful to you as it has been to me to have eyes open to the constant refrain in the New Testament that persecution is a likely event for a believer. And if we are not suffering that right now, then we are unusual in the kingdom of heaven. Not, not to say that is wrong, not to be persecuted, but to say we are in a special time, in a special place. Maybe. Any comments? Yeah, Linda? Um, this is, seems, maybe I'm not understanding it correctly, mm-hmm. but um, this seems kind of harsh that they tortured this guy and gave him up, and then is are they saying that those who those people who were being tortured and gave him up 
might undergo the punishment of Judas himself. I think the church is thinking that, yes. That does seem a bit harsh, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, I think so. Yeah. Right. yeah. Let's move on. More of the story. Uh, we will read through chapter 8. So Polycarp is on page 3. His pursuers then, chapter 7, his pursuers then, oh, Polycarp's pursuers, with horsemen, taking the youth with them, went forth at supper time on the day of the preparation with their usual weapons, as if going out against a robber. Uh, that's one of the lines that's not in the Eusebius account. We, they, it, scholars think that maybe some of these uh, details, going out against a robber, uh, he later, we won't see it, but he rides in on a donkey. Uh, there's a few things that seem to have been attached to the story in later years. To, and this is typical of early writings. This is not to say that that was wrong, but if this is a study of martyrdom, maybe a later editor who put it out for another church wanted those young believers to see, you see what was happening was like Jesus, like we saw with Stephen. Um, okay. And being come about evening to the place where he was, they found him lying down in the upper room, again, upper room, of a certain little house for which he might have escaped into another place. But he refused. At this point, Polycarp now submits. He's been chased. He's listened to his people saying, flee, you don't need to stay. But now he has been, uh, and he's encountered and, and been taken by um, the, the uh, officials, and so he says, he refuses, saying, the will of God be done. So when he heard that they were come, he went down and spoke with them. And as those that were present marveled at his age and constancy, some of them said, some, and he, they mean some of the accusers, some of the soldiers, I meant, was so much effort made to capture such a venerable man? Here you go, Nigel. You're going to want this on page three. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. Immediately then, in that very hour, he ordered that some, he, Polycarp, ordered that something to eat and drink should be set before them as much as they cared for, while he besought them to allow him an hour to pray without disturbance. So he doesn't just say, please give me time. He says, how about if we serve you a meal, and then you can allow me time. And on their giving him leave, he stood and prayed, being full of the grace of God, so that he could not cease for two full hours, to the astonishment of them that heard him, inasmuch that many of them began to repent that they had come forth against so godly a man, a venerable an old man. Let's read on through the end of uh, chapter... Yeah, we'll read on through the chapter the end of this next chapter. Now as soon as, chapter 8, he's brought into the city. Now as soon as he had ceased praying, having made mention of all that had at any time come in contact with him, maybe we have some pastors who pray like that too, sometimes, both small and great, illustrious and obscure, as well as the whole, notice it's lowercase c, Catholic church, meaning universal church, throughout the whole world, the time of his departure having arrived, they set him upon an ass and conducted him into the city, the day being that of the great Sabbath, in other words, before Passover. And Irenarch, Herod, accompanied by his father, Nisitas, I don't know how to say it, both riding in a chariot, met him. 
And taking Polycarp into the chariot, they seated themselves beside him and endeavored to persuade him, saying, What harm is there in saying, Lord Caesar, and in sacrificing with other ceremonies observed on such occasions? And, and so make sure of safety. Remember last week we talked about that there is no general law in the Roman Empire against being a Christian. The pers- so there's not a general persecution for three centuries. What there are are local persecutions because local leaders don't want any local problems. And if a leader of a group is not going to come on a certain day and make the sacrifice before the Roman gods and the emperor's statue, that could cause trouble in the state. So he says, why, why can't you just do this? But he at first, Polycarp at first, gave them no answer. And when they continued to urge him, he said, I shall not do as you advise me. So they, having no hope of persuading him, began to speak bitter words unto him, cast him out with violence out of the chariot, inasmuch then he dislocates his leg. But without being disturbed, and as if suffering nothing, he went forward eagerly with all haste, conducted to the stadium, where the tumult was so great that there was no possibility of being heard. Remember last week's gospel. And this, um, I think, is where, yeah, John, this is what you brought up for us, the idea, don't, don't worry in black in the center there, don't prepare your, advan- your defense in advance, but Jesus had warned, they're going to arrest you, persecute you, hand you over to synagogues and prisons, brought before kings and governors. You will be betrayed by parents, friends, etc. So we have heard these readings that so much in the last few weeks tie into these stories and that these, these scriptures, I believe, are running around in the heads of the church at Smyrna. Let's go on. Chapter 9. Polycarp refuses to revile Christ. Bottom of page 3. Now as Polycarp was entering into the stadium, there came to him a voice from saying, Be strong and show thyself a man, O Polycarp. No one saw who it was that spoke to him because those of the brethren who were present heard, but those of the brethren present heard the voice. And as he was brought forward, the tumult became great when they heard that Polycarp was taken. And when he came near, the proconsul asked him whether he was Polycarp. Remember that happened with Trajan and, and Ignatius. Are you Theophorus, as he would like to be known? Okay. On his confessing that he was, the proconsul sought to persuade him to deny Christ, saying, have respect to your old age. Similar things, according to their custom, such as, Swear by the fortune of Caesar. Julius Caesar had apparently uh, initiated the idea of swearing by the goddess fortune. And so that's what this is referring to. But just, just do that. Just, just for the sake of the economy. Okay? Will you just do this? Swear by the fortune of Caesar. Repent and say away with the atheists, meaning his church, the people who believe in Jesus. But Polycarp gazing with a stern countenance on all the multitude of the wicked heathen then in the stadium, and waving his hands towards them, while he groans, he looks up to heaven, and pointing to the crowd, not to his church, he says, away with the atheists. 
Then the proconsul urging him says, Swear, and I will set thee at liberty. Reproach Christ. And this is, this is the line that our granddaughter Shannon had said to me on Saturday when I told her we were going to look at Polycarp. She didn't, she didn't remember where he was from, and, and it took her a minute to remember his name, but she, then she quoted this. She said, oh, I still remember, because we did this when she was an eighth grader in, in Palm School. Eighty and six years have I served him, and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? So Polycarp goes back to what he knows about that king of glory, that king of love, whom we hear about in the sermon. Any comments before we move on? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. We heard this from Peter two weeks ago. Do not fear what they fear. That's out of Isaiah. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer, <laughs> but the answer may come at the, the last moment. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Let's go on. Chapter 10. And we have to go all the way through chapter 11. Chapter 10. Polly confess, Polycarp confesses. When the proconsul yet again pressed him, said, Swear by the fortune of Caesar. He answered, this is Polycarp, Since thou art vainly urgent that as thou sayest I should swear by the fortune of Caesar and pretend not to know who and what I am, hear me declare with boldness, I and let's say that with him. I, I am, am a Christian. And if you wish to learn what the doctrines of Christianity are, appoint me a day, and you shall hear them. <laughs> Remember, Paul did the same <laughs> The proconsul replied, Persuade the people, Polycarp said, To thee I have thought it right to offer an account of my faith. For we are taught to give all due honor, which entails no injury upon ourselves, to the powers and authorities which are ordained of God. But as for these in the crowd, I do not deem them worthy of receiving any account from me. The proconsul then said to him, I have wild beasts at hand. To these I'll cast thee, except unless you repent. But Polycarp answered, Call them then, for we are not accustomed to repent of what is good in order to adopt that which is evil. And it is well for me to be changed from what is evil, to what is righteous, in other words, from a sinner (laughs) who at the resurrection (laughs) becomes one of the righteous around the throne. But again, the proconsul said to him, I will cause thee to be consumed by fire, seeing that you despise the wild beasts if you won't repent. But Polycarp said, you threaten me with fire, which burns for an hour, and after a little is extinguished. But you're ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. But why tarry? Bring forth what you will. I'm calling this. Want to read it with me? And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body. Chapter 12. He's sentenced to be burned. The proconsul was astonished and sent his herald to proclaim in the midst of the stadium. Oops, I want to get the picture. 
thrice. Polycarpus confessed that he's a Christian. Polycarpus confessed he's a Christian. Polycarpus confessed he's a Christian. This proclamation having been made by the herald, the whole multitude, both of heathen and of Jews, who dwelt at Smyrna, cried out with uncontrollable fury and in a loud voice, This is the teacher of Asia, the father of the Christians, and the overthrower of our gods. He who has been teaching many not to sacrifice or to worship the gods. That's his crime. Speaking thus, they cried out and besought Philip the Asiarch to let loose a line upon Polycarp. But Philip answered, (laughs) he's probably a lawyer too, um, that it was not lawful for him to do so, seeing the shows of the wild beasts had already finished for the day. (laughs) And it seemed good to them to cry out with one consent that Polycarp should be burnt alive. For thus it behooved the vision which had been revealed to him in regard to his pillar to be fulfilled. When seeing it on fire as he was praying, he turned about and said, prophetically to the faithful who were with him, I must be burnt alive. So they build the funeral pyre. When the funeral pyre, I guess they say pyre, yeah, was ready, because I cut and pasted this. (laughs) Polycarp, laying aside all his garments and loosening his girdle, sought also to take off his sandals, a thing he was not accustomed to do inasmuch as every one of the faithful, this is his church writing this, the faithful were always eager who should first touch his skin. He didn't have to take off his own sandals. For on account of his holy life, he was, even before his martyrdom, apparently he was living to die. <laughs> okay, before, even before his martyrdom, I have to find my place, um, adorned with every kind of good, still in chapter 13. Immediately then they surrounded him with those substances which had been prepared for the funeral pile. But when they were about also to fix him with nails, he said, leave me as I am. For he that giveth me strength to endure the fire will also enable me, without your securing me by nails, to remain without moving in the pile. Any comments? It's interesting that um, I think some of the martyrs wanted to be nailed, didn't they? Yes, yeah, some wanted to be. What they were going to be crucified, maybe crucified upside down, yeah, or he yeah. chose not to be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, we have yeah, from from the from the martyrdom. We, we looked at this. We opened the class last week. The martyrdom of Trajan. We don't have time to read through the whole thing, but. We are going to hear um, that Ignatius is praying and he commends with tears to the Lord. He was hurried away by the savage cruelty of the soldiers like a distinguished ram from the leader of a goodly flock. And it says goodly. Last week I said I wasn't sure if I mistyped better if, if it was godly, but it's goodly. That he might be carried to Rome there to furnish food to the bloodthirsty beasts. We're going to hear the same terminology and these churches knew one another. Smyrna, uh, um, Smyrna had had representatives at, from the churches come when Ignatius was in Smyrna. These churches knew one another, and they utilized similar terminology here. So let's, let's hear what this says in chapter 14 on page 5. We're almost done with this story. They did not nail him, but simply bound him. 
And he, placing his hands behind him and being bound like a distinguished ram, taken out of a great flock for sacrifice. Remember Isaac? Abraham takes Isaac up and um, God provides the ram or the lamb for the sacrifice. He's being referred to as a sacrifice. Not for sins, but just an exa- a sacrifice in front of unbelievers. Prepared to be an acceptable burnt offering unto God, looked up to heaven. And here's Polycarp's prayer. O Lord God, maybe you can read that with me. I'm in the middle, I'm about seven lines down in chapter 14 and it's red. He said, O Lord God Almighty, the Father of thy beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, by whom we have received the knowledge of thee, the God of angels and powers and of every creature and of the whole race of the righteous who live before thee, I give thee thanks that thou hast counted me worthy of this day and this hour, that I should have a part in the number of thy martyrs, in the cup of thy Christ, to the resurrection of eternal life, both of soul and body, through the incorruption imparted by the Holy Ghost, among whom may I be accepted this day before thee as a fat and acceptable sacrifice, according as thou, the ever-truthful God, has ordained beforehand to me, and now has fulfilled. Wherefore also I praise thee for all things, I bless thee, this sounds like the liturgy, I glorify thee along with the everlasting and heavenly Jesus Christ, the beloved Son, with whom to thee and the Holy Ghost be glory both now and to all coming ages. Amen. Remember, I've been bringing us back to this line that, that um, from Robin Darling Young's book, in procession before the world, she's quoting Origen. We'll look at that in just a minute. And, and we've said that she says that when the church was trying to teach young believers, they knew that the sacrifice of martyrs, if you face martyrdom, remember, they were saying, that the sacrifice of martyrs publicly will defeat the sacrifice of the Roman Empire. That these combatants give us words and actions that help train. And and this I've never thrown in. And orthodox teaching, she says, was essential to this training and would lead to a good confession of the faith at the point of martyrdom. And haven't you heard orthodoxy in his prayer? Absolute orthodoxy that then has come down to the church. And then this idea that, okay, we have our liturgies within the walls of the church, but when you're led in procession before the world out there in the empire to be to be uh, slain for your faith. Now the world gets to hear the bold proclamation, the eternal perspective. And they get to hear and maybe begin to know about Jesus. And this is what Origen had said. What other time then is more acceptable talking about, referencing Isaiah and Corinthians at acceptable time? What other time is more acceptable than for piety toward God in Christ this is a, a, a strength verse from Origen, okay? We are led under guard in procession before the world, celebrating a triumph rather than being led in triumph. That's what these stories of the martyrs are about. They are for the training of younger believers, or older like we are, but maybe haven't faced this. And then some of the scriptures which we do not have time to go through, 
but I'll just lead us through here, and you can look them up. Finally, Polycarp, I didn't put all this in, chapter 15, he's not injured by the fire. It's like a, a flame comes up around him, and, and, and it never gets to him, much like the three men in the fiery furnace, okay? He doesn't smell of smoke or anything. He, that, so they pierce him with a dagger, and then the Christians are refused his body. We won't read that. Um, but I want us to get to the last page. Because this has to do with the church year, I think. Okay? Um, and I'll take us just to the final note on the top of this right-hand column. You can go home and read in praise of martyrdom, the Polycarp. This is the date of the martyrdom. Now, the blessed Polycarp suffered martyrdom on the second day of the month Xanthicus just begun, their, their, you know, their, their public calendar, the seventh day before the Collins of May, on the great Sabbath, that's a Hebrew calendar, at the eighth hour, he was taken by Herod, this Irenarch, Philip the Trallian being high priest, Stadius Quadratus being proconsul, and read this with me. But to Jesus Christ, the King forever, to whom be glory, honor, majesty, and an everlasting throne, from generation to generation. The earth is the Lord's. Lift up your heads. You hear this in, in, in the liturgy today. Okay. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. Blessed are those. We heard that about four or five weeks ago from the Gospels. There's our, our verse about fiery times. But I think, and we've never even taken the time to look at Hebrews 11 about those martyrs who went before in the Old Testament. But we will end our class thinking about if we, if when we read these stories, we begin to see ourselves in them, here's some of the questions we have. You know, what does this teach us about the world and the kingdom of God? What does it teach us about the outcome of martyrdom and about how to face such a time in our own lives? That's where we've gone. It's 10.30. I think we need to just close. Well, is that one, one, we can take maybe one comment. If somebody's burning with us. A comment. That was a pun. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Judy. So he didn't actually get burned until after he was dead. Yeah, they burned They the, burned his body later, yeah. But the dagger point, killed him. Does that point back to his vision of being burned on the pillow? Yeah, Charlie did. Yeah. Okay, good point. Good point. Oh, I hadn't even thought about that. Oh, that's really good. John. Actually, the vision is, I'm going to make the fire nice and comfortable for you. That's how powerful I am. And you don't understand until afterwards when you're not being very much. Oh, it was a film. <laughs> oh. oh. So well, reassuring you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, I, I think there are many ways we can read this. Yeah. <clears throat> so on Christ the King Sunday, I hope you, is, is there somebody with a good voice who could start us here? Uh, for, this is for all the saints. Da, 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 that one, you know? Okay. Oh.
all go in peace that all may know the love of Jesus. Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and His people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org.